know what is real and what isn't. What is light? What is dark? Welcome to Media Evil, a medieval pop culture podcast, where we talk about how medieval and medieval-inspired movies, TV, and books depict the medieval world. What do they get right? What do they get wrong? And what do they tell us about how modern people see the medieval past? I'm Sarah Ifschecker, a medieval historian, and today I'm joined by returning guest Lily Bonneman to discuss the 2022 Willow TV series. So, welcome. Hi, it's, it's good to be back. So in case it seems unlikely, but in case there are any <laughs> listeners who have not heard any of your previous episodes, I, that seems in particular unlikely because it seems likely anyone listening to this has probably heard your appearance on the Willow episode. But nevertheless, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and about why you wanted to talk about this particular piece of media? That's true. I am best known around the internet as Media Evil's Doctor Who correspondent. Apparently, I'm also Media Evil's Willow correspondent now, because this has become a thing. We watched the 1988 film Willow last year. After recording the episode, but before the episode was released in that brief span of time, they announced this sequel series on Disney Plus to come out late in 2022. So now it is early 2023, and the whole season is out, and we watched it, and we're here now. Mm -hmm. Indeed, indeed. I, I think I watched it over a period of approximately three days, because I am bad at managing my time, even when I'm on leave and should have an abundance of free time, but I did oh, watch mood. it. Willow, the Disney Plus TV series, came out in, uh, I think, about November of sometime in 2022. They, they were putting out the episodes, like, once per week like a like a yeah. tv show so so we waited until january when all the episodes were out <laughs> yes made it easier so we've got a couple of people who are reprising their roles so uh, in particular we have warwick davis is back as willow the titular willow and we also have Joanne Whaley, who is back as Sorsha. I will note that, unfortunately, because of health reasons, Val Kilmer is not able to reprise his role as Madame Mardigan, and that there are a couple of episodes where you hear his voice, and that apparently is his son, Jack Kilmer, who is providing yes. uh, that voice casting. And uh, there is one other returning role, but I've forgotten the actor's name, so I'm looking it up very quickly. Yes, because uh, we do get one of the brownies. Yeah, briefly. Rule comes back. Yes. R Rule comes back for a pretty brief cameo. Like, Kevin Pollack plays Rule. Mm -hmm. But he's but uh, Willow's like, do you want to come on this adventure? And he's like, ah, I got a family. And you've got you know, all of these teenagers around you. You've, <laughs> they have a new me. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> like, he specifically like like points out the character Graydon and he's like you're the new comic relief <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like is he he doesn't seem as funny <laughs> uh, yeah yeah we do indeed have a lot of teens this is this is Willow <laughs> with cool teens uh, so that includes Ellie Bamber as uh, the character who is originally referred to as Dove, which uh, inexplicably seems to have gotten autocorrected to Dave in my notes. But... <laughs> well done. 
I'll I'll wait to do the reveal until two minutes from now when sure, we uh, get sure. to that point. Ellie Bamber, uh, she was in something. Oh no, this is going to bother me because I know I've seen her in something and I've just forgotten what it was. Sorry, this has become the the Lily opens IMDb show. <laughs> she she played Lydia Bennett in Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Huh. Interesting. I am so, not sure I knew they actually made a movie of that. I read the book. Apparently they did. Huh. Apparently okay. it got middling reviews. Mm. We also have Ruby Cruz as a Kit Tempelos. We have Erin Kellyman as Jade. Erin uh, Kellyman is uh, now in her second media evil appearance since she was also in The Green Knight. She's also, like Warwick Davis, a Star Wars veteran. Yes. Yes. She's in Solo. Yes. Yep. She, she plays a character whose name I... Amphis Nest. I can't quite place her, but that might be because I did not in particular like Solo, actually. And so I have not seen it since I saw it in theaters. It was a pretty forgettable movie, but I am good at remembering forgettable movies. Uh, She's like the proto-rebel who, like, offers Han the chance to join the rebellion. And then he refuses because he Mm. joins it ten years later with Luke. Right. So that was a really unnecessary movie. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, featuring the brilliant explanation of why he's named Solo, which we all deeply needed. mm -hmm. And and like the backstory behind the nickname Chewie. It turns out it's short for Chewbacca. I'm shocked. Who would have guessed? (laughs) We've also got Tony Revolori as Graydon. Tony Revolori audiences may recognize as Flash Thompson from the Tom Holland Spider-Man movies. Oh, okay. He's sort of the class uh, bully turned friend. Yeah. Yeah, cool. I I feel like I should know who he is, and I guess I've not watched any of those movies in a while. I need to rewatch them. We have Amar Chadha Patel as Thraxus Borman, uh, who is, I guess, our, like, in addition to Willow, the sort of resident, like, adult. He's, like... Matt Mardigan 2. Actually, there's several characters who are like Matt Mardigan 2. Yes. But he's like the, he's like the, like, I have a, I have a criminal past and you're not sure if you can trust me, but I'm a lovable rogue who has a big sword. And is also the kind of like comic relief character, I would say. It's like weird that they point to Graydon and say he's the new me. And I'm like, actually, I feel like Borman is, if anything, the new you. Mm Mm-hmm. Dempsey Rye, which is the most, like, <laughs> blonde male youth name I can imagine. Uh, as weird, because he's not blonde. No, he's not really blonde. He's sort of, I don't know, he's like, I don't know, kind of dirty blonde. Yeah. Mm. Uh, sure. Mm. But yeah, plays Eric. Yes, and I and I do find it very charming that Mad Mardigan named his son Eric. Yeah. Rest in peace, Eric. We've got Ralph Ineson, who is, uh, I feel like, kind of everybody's favorite that guy. He plays a lot of mostly sort of vaguely unsavory individuals in a lot of movies set in the Middle Ages. He's got the perfect voice for it, though. He's got that really deep growl going on. It's very good. 
Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure if the first of those was that he's like somebody from the Iron Islands in Game of Thrones. And then he, they ran with like that being his vibe, uh, but he, he pulls it off. And he is actually, in fact, the uh, the titular Green Knight. Oh, okay. I mean, you I know, was, under uh, a whole I, lot of stuff. Sure, I haven't seen it. <laughs> I think I recommend it. It depends on the day. Uh-huh. It's, it's something to have on in the background, right? Pretty to look at. Oh, no, if it's on in the background, you will not be able to follow that shit. Okay. The plot is very convoluted. Gotcha. I'm thinking of a different one, then. And yeah, I don't know either which. you watch it or you, you watch it or you don't. It's not going to make any sense if you have it on, on in the background. And we also briefly has, have Christian Slater playing Allagash, who is another uh, sometime companion of Mad Mardigan. And I have to say, I found the name Allagash aggressively distracting <laughs> because it, it's a very good craft brewery in Maine. And that's the only thing I could think of whenever anybody said his name. Okay. <laughs> but that's fine. Anything else you want to add in terms of cast? Julian Glover is in this as Zeb, the old man with an inn at the shores oh, of the yes. Shining Sea. Yes. And, and like, Julian Glover is a lot older than I remember. <laughs> oh yeah, he is. He is an ancient gentleman. I am I am used to Julian Glover as as a villain in both Indiana Jones and Star Wars. Mm, mm -hmm. I am not used to Julian Glover as a very old man. Yeah, but there there he is, has Mm -hmm. an elderly, kind of creepy guy. Just a bit, yeah. Just a bit, just a tad. I I was like, like for, for his whole screen time, I was like, He's one of those characters where it's like, are we supposed to trust this guy or not? And it's like, he rides that line very well. He's always ridden that line very well, frankly. Yeah. There's a lot of people who are the, can we trust them or not type character, actually, in this show. That's true, too. We're we're heavy on that. Mm Mm-hmm. With that, we can start the enumeratio or recap section where we get into the plot of the show, obviously with eight episodes, uh, we, which are approximately in the like 45 minutes to an hour each range. We're not going to be able to get into every single detail, but we'll be giving people an overall scope and as usual, spoiling everything. Uh-huh. Yep. So if you, if you want to watch it, pause this, get on Disney Plus, come back in eight hours. <laughs> Yep. See you in eight hours. Essentially, we're now basically in, like, essentially, I would say the amount of time that has passed is approximately, I don't know, I guess maybe somewhat less than, it's, like... Well, it, it is it is 200 months, which comes Oof, out to a... six, 16 years, eight months. So Oof, that's a frustrating way of determining time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, well, they're, they're like, they're not uh, measuring things in years, they're measuring them in moons, and so... Right. So it's just like 200 moons ago. That's right. Yeah. So so less time has passed than has passed in our world since Willow came out. Since uh, if if we were going by when Willow actually came out, uh, Alora Dannon would be my age as opposed to a uh, cool teen TM. Yeah. Um, you, you like you can't make a, a movie where the where the chosen one is in her 30s. A grumpy 35 years. <laughs> <laughs> somebody should make that movie eventually where the chosen one is like ugh, really i have to do this i can't just stay home with my cat yeah 
Okay, also 16 years and eight months means that, um, wow, did uh, Sorsha and Mad Mardigan get on that shit in terms of conceiving children. Yeah, yeah. Because those kids are like right about 16. Yep. They're twins and it's their 16th birthday. It is, the, it is their birthday? I missed that. Oh, I suppose, yes, yeah, because no, you're right. The day that she's supposed you're to get right. married is, she's supposed to get married on her 16th birthday, which okay. is like, yeah. They're like, that's tomorrow. Yep. So yeah, they uh, they moved along. They, okay. Sure. That man. Like, if anything, there's not quite enough time in there. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> Moving along. <laughs> We've got Sorsha, and uh, she has, uh, and she has married Mad Mardigan, but Mad Mardigan has been gone for a while, and they have twins, uh, Prince Eric and Princess Kit. In different ways, they're both Mad Mardigan too. They're both yes. They're both skilled, like snarky, skilled swords people. They, they've they've both got like kind a bit of a roguish feel going on, like. They are both like these are definitely Mad Mardigan's kids. Like within like 100%. the first within the first like three minutes, I I like texted Sarah and said, "Yeah, she's this princess is Mad Mardigan's kid." And then like yep. when Sarah was three minutes in, she was like, "Yes, you're right." <laughs> yep. I also really like that the princess is mostly into swords and the prince is mostly into romance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was fun. So I enjoyed that dynamic. Essentially, what is going on, politically speaking at this point, is basically that there was a vision that Alora, like Willow had a vision that like Alora would rule and then like somebody would fuck things up and she'd get killed and then there would be like centuries of darkness and misery or whatever. So the solution to that apparently is to hide her and not tell her who she is and basically just go with don't worry about it. Yeah, yep. That's well, that's Sorsha's solution. Willow's like, I yes. want to teach her sorcery. And and Sorsha's like, Are you sure you're qualified? You barely learned yourself. You you are yeah. mostly self-taught, my friend. So this is then getting into a couple of things that I found a little frustrating. First of all, I feel like Sorsha is like so aggressive about this that it almost makes me kind of doubt her motives. She's unnecessarily mean to Willow. She's really mean. And it like kind of makes me think like, do you just want to be in charge? Yeah. Like, I don't know. I feel like it kind of gave us this like weird vibe that I'm like, are we supposed to trust her? Which I'm not sure I loved from a character who, you know, did have a redemptive arc, even if she had her Mm -hmm. redemptive arc mostly because she met a cute boy. Yeah. I also found confusing that the series seemed like it couldn't entirely make up its mind about whether Willow was good at magic. Yeah. Well, I think I think the the line they're trying to walk is like everyone's like you're Willow, you're the greatest sorcerer in the world and and like he's a decent sorcerer, but he's no Rizelle. Like Right. And, and but he, it's weird. He's like I'm a sorcerer. I wouldn't say I was the best ever. Like that's but, you know. Yeah, but it's weird because, like, every now and then he just, like, really kicks ass. Oh, yeah. I mean. <laughs> They're like, actually, he kind of sucks. And I'm like, does he? Because he just did that. Mm-hmm. 
So, all right. So what's going on now is that Kit is, uh, has a good friend, Jade, and there is very clearly a lot of romantic tension there. I mean, so at the point, I mean, technically, like, they're not officially dating. Like, there's just, like, they're friends with an immense amount of romantic and sexual tension. Yes. Uh Uh-huh. At this stage, I would say. Like, like, I think the, like, when at the end of this episode or the right the end of this episode or the beginning of the next when right the end of this episode where like kit yep. kisses her i think that's the first time that they've kissed yeah that that tracks yep and eric is attempting to seduce a kitchen maid named dove and is like let's get married and which is like sir sir we can't do that meanwhile kit is supposed to be getting married to prince graydon who is the prince from uh one of the neighboring yeah. Galadorn. Galadorn, we've got, yes. We've got so so these these kingdoms were in the original uh movie. We had Tirazlin, which is the one that which is the big shining one that Elora was prophesized to be the empress of. We've got and that's Galadorn. That's now ruling. Yes. And and in the movie Bathmorda had like turned them all to stone and so Right. But Galadorn is the neighboring kingdom that the big army led by the original Eric came from. Right. Yes. And uh, then they also mentioned Kashmir, which I don't think was mentioned in the, in the movie, but it's like, these are sort of like the three mentioned quote unquote, good kingdoms. Right. As opposed to say, Nakmar, where, which is uh, the evil Bathmorda's kingdom. Right. And there's this like barrier essentially. And the, I guess the good kingdoms are on like the one side of the barrier. And then, uh, you know, you cross over the barrier and everything goes to hell basically. Yep. So we end up having this attack by uh, the Gales. So we have these kind of, you know, a, a bunch of vaguely sinister figures. Um, I would say of, vaguely. I would say they're very sinister. Aggressively sinister figures. One of whom, uh, I believe it is the Doom, I find hilarious because his design is just absolutely like, okay, so you took one of the uh, the fades from Wheel of Time and you took the mouth of Sauron and that's your character design. It works. Uh, it works. In the, in the moment. Mm. While they're there, they kidnap Prince Eric, and they also infect Valentine, so that's uh, Ralph Ineson's character, and so mm-hmm. he's going to be, you know, bent to their will. And they get a team together, which will be, you know, our, our quest team to go and, or well, more or less. Our, our D&D party. Yeah, our D&D party, mm-hmm. uh, with a couple of additions, of, you know, additions and subtractions as we move along. Yep. The original group sent out is uh, there is an elderly knight whose name I've absolutely forgotten. Case. His name is Case. Case. He would. Case. Would, so uh, we're introduced to Valentine and Case at the like near the start yes. of the episode when we're meeting all our characters. Valentine is sort of Jade's mentor because Jade wants to be yes. like the best knight. And Case is Eric's per- personal bodyguard. And he feels guilty that uh, Eric. Right got kidnapped which is fair yeah so case is sent uh as is uh, kit jade and graydon and i i do love that like they're like you know that they're to graydon they're like are you gonna like send your fiance you know just like out there alone and he's like i mean you know i'll i could learn to live with that yeah because because graydon is like 
utterly useless in a fight and he knows it yes like, he is Graydon Graydon <laughs> is like the like I am the quiet retiring scholar who would like wants to stay away from danger which is a mood but like his dad's like you are going on this quest and, he, and he's like oh okay <laughs> and they also pull out of prison Thraxus Borman because yes. he has been beyond the barrier before and as we said before he's kind of the comic relief character I feel like he was the character I ended up actually liking the best overall yeah no he's he's a very likable character like he's yeah he's just the, a big fun guy with like like he is in terms of a D&D party like he is the quintessential rogue with the exception of most rogues don't use great swords <laughs> right right yeah no so he's he's very fun and then also dove tags along because she's in love with eric and wants to mm-hmm. rescue eric it's not so much tags along as well, strikes out on her own and then yes links up and then beats the up with them and, yeah and they and they keep trying to send her back but eventually like she keeps going and and at some, at some point, they, they get far enough that they're like, all right, I guess you're just with us now. <laughs> and it's about when she first sets out that I said, you're going to turn out to be a Laura Dannon. And I was right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep. So yeah, I got, got about halfway through the episode where I guessed that one, which is officially revealed at the end of the episode, as we'll uh, get to in a moment. But I do first just want to like, uh, you know, pour one out for Case, because Case, while he is waxing eloquent on the importance of being vigilant, gets fucking killed. Gets shot in the back. <laughs> yep. Goodbye, Case. Uh... He is no longer in the party. They do, however, go and find Willow, who immediately upon seeing this group, which now includes Dove, says, you're a Laura Dannon, huh? And she's like, I'm what? (laughs) And everybody else is also like, you're what? And this is something that we're going to get into. So, you know, this is we're kind of moving into the next episode. The other thing that I found really frustrating is that they do a lot for about half-ish or so of the series of Kit and Alora just hate each other. Or yeah. well, really, Kit hates Alora and Alora yeah. sort of responds. It's, it's pretty one-sided. Like, Kit is kind of a huge jerk for a while. Yeah. To not just not just to Alora, kind of to everyone, but like uh, kind of to everybody. Especially to Alora. And it's in part like that they're like, this character has a chip on her shoulder, which is fine, but it also sort of comes off as this, like, women, they hate each other, am I right? Yeah. Yeah. Which I found really frustrating. Because, like, she she just, like, really hates her. She hates her before she's n- known to be a Laura Dannon. She really hates her after she's found out to be a Laura Dannon for, like, no apparent reason. Yeah, well, I mean, I think before there was, like, some degree of, like, you're not good enough for my brother. You're the kitchenmaid. Yeah, so first she just kind of, like, dismissed her, and uh, then she's, like, basically just, you know, is, like, well, like, and then she's, like, you're not good enough to, like, be a Laura Dannon. Mm-hmm, yeah. And it's just, like, feels like this, like, very weird, like, we have women, so we have to have, like, female jealousy. Yeah, yeah. Which I wish I wish they'd skipped because if they hadn't had that element, it would have been great to like have a party where there were like you know three like young women central characters. 
uh-huh. which is still cool, but it's like a little less cool when it has to like have that element. Yeah. So in episode two, first of all, we learn about the uh, the falling out that Willow had in the past with Sorsha because Sorsha was a real fucking bitch to him. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, I should train Alora. And, he just, and she just like negs him intensely. Mm-hmm. Yep. We get to see like young kid Alora who's like, I from I recognize you, sort of. Yeah. Because <laughs> she's like grown up just enough that like, the whole adventure with Willow is is like starting to fade from her memory, but right. We get that backstory. We meet the other Nellan villagers, including so, including we uh, we meet Willow's daughter Mims. I am kind of sad that Mims didn't get to come along on the adventure. I feel like she would have been a fun addition to our troop of cool teens. I feel like she would have gotten killed. Uh, yeah, I mean, to be fair. I, well, I mean. I mean, she doesn't have any skills, but then again, like, Graydon and Alora actually make it a long time with no actual skills. Well, Graydon... They both uh, eventually turn out to have magic, but, like, they both kind of suck at it for a lot of the show. Graydon actually does have some skills that come in handy because he's, like, a scholar who recognizes the the evil language. Like, he's like... Yes, that's true. I know what they're saying. I can translate this on the fly. Or I yes. know what this mysterious writing says. So it's like, he's he's like, not a fighter, but he's like, right. he's the he's the brain guy. He's the smart guy. Yeah, the yeah. no, guy. he is helpful. Yeah, but we, we have this group where like relatively few of them are any good in a fight. Mm. Until the very end. Yeah, we got three talented swords people and Wait, Willow. And Willow, Yeah. So really, it's just Graydon and Alora who need to yeah. work on their magic. Right. Meanwhile, Ballantine, who is, in fact, you know, under under the lich influence, has been tasked to go and fetch Dove slash Alora by Sorsha, who doesn't know that he's evil now, I guess. Yeah. And uh, Alora starts learning magic and is mostly initially not very good at it. But as she is being kidnapped by Valentine, she manages to make this tree yeah, be- become a tree. Um, yeah. however, however you want to phrase that. Yeah, she's like, can't, can't I learn combat magic now? And, and Willow's like, you need to learn the four basic pillars of magic first. And so the first one is like, make this plant grow. Right. And that's fair. Like, you want to have the basic sound before you start throwing yeah. around lightning bolts. <laughs> right. Absolutely. So, you know, good, good, fine. But yes, but she yeah. eventually, she basically kind of pulled it off just as she gets kidnapped. Willow's like, this is, this is the standard magical pedagogy. And she's like, the what? <laughs> it's like, oh, right. You, you didn't get this education, did you? Mm-mm. Again, with the weird animosity that, like, as soon as they, like, realize she's missing in the beginning of the next episode, Kit says, throw a leash on that shit already. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh. Not great. Not great. Yeah. We do also get a new party member, Willow's friend Silas, who... Yes. uh, In the trailers, I initially thought was the return of Vonkar, but it's apparently a different character. But, Silas does like, not make it very long, sadly. Rest Silas in peace, doesn't, Silas. Silas doesn't make it all that long. But, like, we get this, we still get this sense that, like, you know, in the time skip, like, he's basically been one of Willow's best friends back home who comes along yeah. with him on, on yeah. this quest. 
Willie, by the way, has clearly had like a rough home life. We eventually find out like his, his wife sadly has died. His son was like, like blamed him for that. And has just like ditched. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. So the Nelwyn also have been like driven into this underground cavern, which I will say, I kind of wish we'd gotten like a little more of the Nelwyn than we actually got in this. That's yeah, me too. We also briefly get the introduction of two additional characters, the woodcutters Hubert and Anne, who just have intense like cottagecore lesbian vibes. They it's like it's like we've we've had this like high fantasy series, and then we come across these two ladies who like look like just a couple of modern Canadians. Like they are yeah. they are decked out in denim and flannel and like ah lesbians in the woods yes uh-huh wood well, lesbians yeah <laughs> but it was a little jarring to see that much denim in a show i know yes yeah, i was like what what are these people um <laughs> but i came to like them and oh i love them very mm-hmm, yeah i mean at first i was a little worried because okay so another <laughs> I have a lot of things frustrating in this show another thing that i found frustrating is that all of these people who are like really important and whose identities could like lead people to be more likely to want to capture and or kill them, keep introducing themselves with their real names. Yeah, yeah. And this is one of the early examples of this, where she meets these like strangers in the woods and is like, hi, I'm Alora. And they're like, oh, you must be named after Alora Dannon. And she's like, no, I am Alora Dannon. And I'm just watching this and I'm like, why? Why, why are you telling them this? Mm-hmm. Tell them mm-hmm. your name is fucking Brunhilda. Yeah, and like, later on like they get captured by people who have like serious beef with Tiraz Lean and the Tiraz Lean royal family and Kit's like hi I'm Kit Tanthalos the princess of Tiraz Lean right it's like ma'am ma'am no respect me in this hostile territory that respect me in this hostile territory that owes no allegiance to my family yep because I'm the princess yep come on How how dumb do you have to be you say, I'm Katie, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Maybe not Katie. Pick a dumb name. Pick, just pick yeah. something random. Yes, just pick a name, any name, any name that is not your real and, like, extremely problematic identity. Yes. That being said, I actually, this was, I, this is actually probably one of the episodes I think I liked best. I feel like there were a lot of really fun action sequences. Okay. In this one. We also, yeah. because Kid and Alora weren't in the same place, we got a break from some of that dynamic for a bit. Yeah, yeah. I like the wood lesbians before they there died. Was, there, was one, there was one bit, uh, one line that made me just cackle. It's, it's the middle of a fight and Willow is like setting up this spell and he's like, I need to, and he says to Silas, I need a good distraction. Go out and shiv somebody. <laughs> 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 That's his exact wording. <laughs> With all of this, they end up going, unsurprisingly, to the one place that they were like, we definitely shouldn't go, which is Nakbar. So, you know, the place where mm-hmm. Bavmorda was doing, like, a cool ritual to kill yeah, Alora like, Dan, or to ha- send, send Alora's soul to the 13th realm. Yep. They're at a fork in the road, and they're like, well, this path has been, like, blocked, is starting to be blocked off by flooding. Let's go up these mysterious stairs. And Willow's like, do not go up those mysterious stairs. And they're like dude, it's the only way we're going up these mysterious stairs. And Willow's like, oh, fine. Every time you have to go up the fucking mysterious stairs. Yep. And end up in at Nakbar. 
Yep. And at the end of the episode, they realized that uh, Graydon has been infected like Ballantyne was. Oh, also, yes. they uh, they defeat Ballantyne. Willow is able to purge the evil from his system, but in such a way that leaves him, like, you know, mortally fucked up. It seems like the evil has already kind of eaten through him, basically. Yeah. And that, like, yeah. once it goes out of him, there's not, like, a lot of him left anymore. Yeah. And, well, and, like... Willow also mentions that, like, you know, the blast, like, it's like, yes, it it drove the evil from him, but also it, like, fucked him up. So, like, yeah, yeah. And, and so uh, Jade has to perform a mercy kill on her father figure, which yeah, is kind of rough. rough, but. Yeah, yeah. Next episode, we are working on exercising Graydon. And they're like, why Why couldn't you just, Willow, why can't you just do that magical blast? And he's like, do you want me to, like, completely, like, obliterate his insides while I do it? Because that's what will happen. I do like that Kit is very enthusiastic about the idea that she might have to mercy kill her fiancé. Yeah. And and Kit and Borm, and Jaden Borman, who, are, who have both had to, like, do mercy killings in the past, are like, that is actually a very difficult and traumatic thing to have to do. <laughs> like, even if we do have to mercy, like, like Jaden Borman, like, while Kit's not with them, like, make a pact that's like, if we do have to mercy kill him, it's going to be one of us so that she doesn't have to do it. Right. Despite the fact that, honestly, like, I mean, that as a, they don't really have a relationship. Yeah, No. Like, she actively dislikes him, and he seems uh, intensely neutral toward her, and, like, increasingly seems to be, in fact, developing feelings for Alora, mm-hmm. who yeah. semi-has feelings for Eric in a love triangle kind of thing that I could not get super invested in, personally. Yeah. Well, like, I think at this point, Kit and, Kit and Graydon, at least, are, are starting to be on, like, friendlier terms, because, like, yeah. like, Graydon's like, I guess you don't want to marry me. I don't really want to marry you. Like once we are like in charge yeah. in charge of our respective kingdoms, let's just be friends, huh? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And of course, as we all know, Kit is in love with Jade. So, which oh, you know, absolutely, will, yeah, which is like not subtle ever. Which is good. Oh no, I'm no. all I'm one hundred percent here for that. Every everyone can see it. Uh, yep. <laughs> except for them, <laughs> and yep. eventually them. Yep, it's one of those. Yep. The will they, won't they? And the answer is yes, they will. Oh, they absolutely um, will. And I really like their relationship, actually. That was mm-hmm. that was one of the that was one of the brighter spots of the show for me. Yeah. Everybody's having a real fucking rough time in Nakbar. There's like illusions leading everyone through this maze of a castle. Like they're they're all seeing hallucinations. Kit's having um, some like fun visions of her grandmother, thanks to like a real chatty tapestry. <laughs> Showing uh, her declaring her allegiance to the crone in the Order of the Worm, which is uh, something that is introduced in the TV show as being kind of like the the like broader situation that Bavmorga yeah. is involved in that we'll get more details on. Yep. There's there's one point where like Kit and Jade are running from some from a hallucination of General Kale, and so they barricade mm-hmm. the door, and then there's like knocking on the door and Borman yells through like let me in, it's me. <laughs> and they're like, tell us something only the real Borman would know. And he's like, okay, uh, you two really have the hots for each other. And they're like, <laughs> yes! What? No, we don't. <laughs> okay, you can come in. 
<laughs> Alora has a vision of her birth and her mother's death during which her mother like sees the like grown up her and says she's grown up fierce and resilient to which I'm like well she's grown up I'm not totally sure I've seen evidence of the other two as of yet yeah but she has grown up mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> you know I-, I think like Kit's like weird aggro jealousy about Alora is like extremely frustrating especially in the context of like a tv show where they're both like human beings who are traveling together but I also yeah. have to say I could not really feel that invested to be honest like I was more invested in Alora when she was a baby I found her character not very interesting. Her, her character did grow on me. I did like her, but okay. She and she's a little better when she started like actually doing things. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, you know, she. I don't know. She didn't have the most like forceful personality or like visible personality for a lot of the show. Yeah, yeah. It, it takes a while to grow on. Yeah. By the end, she was in a position where she was like, where I was like, okay, I I I like where Alora's at. I like mm-hmm. I like where we've I like where we've ended up. Mm-hmm. I see the steps that it took to get here. I mm-hmm. respect the story arc. I think parts of it could have gone by a little faster. Yeah, and I wish the show hadn't been like so invested in her romantic life. That too. I mean, in terms of like that, oh, her only motivation initially for being involved in this whole thing is that she's, you know, supposedly in love with Eric. And then we have to like have this whole like dumb love triangle thing with her. Yeah. I just, I, I wish we'd spent more time on her like struggling with her identity and figuring out the magic thing and less on her love life. Yeah. With these slightly boring men. Oh, very boring men. Graydon's better than Eric, but... Yeah. I mean, because Graydon has a personality, unlike Eric, who uh, has very nice hair. Eric has very nice hair. We will give him that. Eric has luscious locks. (laughs) Gorgeous hair. One of the most evil things that the crone does, we'll get to it. Um. (laughs) It's it's truly, truly fucked up. Uh Uh, Really, though, you know, that's how you know the crone's evil. Laura goes and like ends up like next to Graydon and uh because she's apparently a fucking idiot which like that's the thing too I'm like why do you have to make her so dumb that like he's like oh no like so Willow fixed me and I'm totally fine I'm definitely not possessed but like now it's in Willow so we have to go fight Willow like you trust me right and she's like yes and I'm like no no nope uh-uh so she, you know, initially is like, so she like ends up like back in the room where they were trying to like steal her soul as a baby. At the start of the episode, Willow's like, two rules. Rule number one, stay out of the high tower. I'm pretty sure it's a portal to the netherworld. Yep. Yep. And so naturally, where does Graydon take Alora? The high Obviously tower. The high tower. Where we end up in the exact same chamber that the climactic battle of the movie happened in, where, where Bad yes. Lord ended up banished. Yes, and then basically end up having what's actually a, like, less good version of that battle. Yeah, essentially. Yep. Mm-hmm. I think this is also the point where, like, everyone assumes that, like, Willow defeated Bab Morda because he's, like, the most awesome sorcerer who ever lived, and not the cheap, the cheap parlor trick slash dumb luck that it was in the original that right. actually happened. 
Right. So I think I think this is the point where like they all learn that oh oh that's how it went down and so a disappearing like, tick trick uh huh like it's it's not it's not like his super magical prowess it's it's he just mm-hmm. outwitted her with normal wits mm-hmm. which I mean which I actually like and like you know like I actually liked that in the show in the movie yeah that he yeah. you know that he managed to do them that it's not just like you know like brute force of magic i actually really like that and so then it's like i don't know it's like a little i I don't know i mean i'm not sure i love that they're a little like like this is the horrible truth yeah well yeah but it's definitely an episode that i feel like sort of reminded me of how much better the movie was true it's like willow didn't kill bath morta bath morta tripped over her own spell yeah, but like it in it, but like you know, he like did something that caused her to do that. It wasn't sorcery, but it's still like skill and wit. It's just like a different kind from what people necessarily anticipate. And like that's actually kind of cool. Uh-huh. So yeah. Yeah, and I I don't know. And it feels like it feels like ultimately to some extent, I feel like the the show to me sort of loses some of the good like message of the fur of the movie and that i feel like with the movie there's a lot of a like it's not just about like stereotypical understandings of power and like it's possible for somebody to like find other ways to like use their skills to like have you know help like good overcome evil and here it's just like eventually these people will have better magic than the bad people and that means they will win yeah that's yeah anyway they managed to exercise graden this is also the episode where I started to uh, notice and um, somewhat side-eye the musical choices. Um, musical choices in particular, are interesting. <laughs> yeah, the ending um, acoustic version of Black Hole Sun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which I had uh, not heard. I, I had not. I don't know if they made the acoustic version for this show or if that's a thing like that they existed. Did. I feel like that's a thing they did. But either way, I can't say I'm here for it. It's a choice. It's a choice. There is a choice. There are there are other like weird pulls of popular music that work better than this. It's better than this, at least. Um, this one was low. This one was a pretty low down da- low. Uh, example uh-huh. yep and i don't dislike necessarily the kind of use of some modern pop music but this this, this one especially wasn't it yeah yeah we start the next episode with the gales are back there trying to catch Alora and kill everybody else and they end up fleeing into the creepy woods, which are very clearly, if you have watched Lord of the Rings, here is a combination of Mirkwood and Fangorn. Yeah. And if you watch the original Willow movie, like this is the woods that Trilindria was in. Right, right. Yeah. So, you know, so they're in the they're in the woods. And they end up being captured by the Bone Reavers, who yes. are led by her eminence Venema Scorpia, who I wish she'd stuck yes. around because she seemed awesome. Uh, also very, very skull-centric decor. Um, you know, as, a, as I often comment, that's certainly a lot of skulls, but you know, she made it work. <laughs> yes. Yeah, this is their, their whole, they've all got the skull masks, which does eventually play back into 
the re- the connection that's eventually revealed back to General Kale from the original movie. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. I fucking hated that. I absolutely fucking hated it. It was no, that was dumb. That was unnecessary and stupid. And so for any listeners who are watching, who are listening to this in lieu of watching it, what specifically this is, is that so Scorpia is about to kill Jade and then see the tattoo on Jade's neck. And I sort of, and like, then is like, oh, no. And I'm like, oh, is this going to be her fucking mom or something? And then it's worse. It's that they are sisters and are both the daughters of General Kale, who I'm sorry, had 15 children. How dare this show make me think about General Kale fucking enough to have 15 children? How dare they? <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Uh no. I'm I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine with long lost sisters. That part I would be fine with. Just why, Kale? I don't it's it's just not I, necessary. It's like they're like, we have to rep we have to reference every character who was in the in the movie that isn't here now. Yeah. So we've got so Mad Mardigan's son is named Eric. That's great. Like that's actually like that makes sense and is sweet. That makes sense. Uh, Mad Mardigan gets referenced a lot. That makes sense. Yeah. Bav Morda, like okay, these, these are sense. Sorsha's kids. They are therefore her Bav Morda's grandkids. But Kale, they're yeah, like, how do we shoehorn Kale in? Like. I can tell you that of all the things I was thinking about at the beginning of episode five, none of them were, huh, I wonder what happened to General Kale and if he has any fucking descendants. Yeah, no. Uh, It's, that was really, really dumb. So dumb. Oh, dumb. But setting that aside, the rest of it is fine. Like, discovering you're not from the people that you thought you were from, that I'm fine with that. Like, long-lost sisters, great. Like, I would have been fine with that. Okay, I, I was fine with that aspect of it. And the thing, actually, that I found most interesting, it was that then it's like, you thought that those people were trying to, that the Kingdom of Tira is lean, that they were trying to save you, but actually they were just, like, killing your family and kidnapping you. That at least I feel like is interesting, but then that disappeared like really fa- like we didn't actually like do anything with that after yeah. this episode. Yeah. Like we just forgot that and moved along. We also is forgot, it- thank God, and moved along from the Jade is General Kale's daughter. Right. But like the part that was interesting, I'm like, oh, I feel like actually I think it would have been cool. Okay, especially if they're going to go with the like vaguely somewhat like sinister seeming Sorsha. I feel like it would have been interesting if the show had actually like interrogated some of the kind of morality of like the way everything get it has like gotten set up in this, you know, universe 16 years post the events of yeah. Willow. But we don't really. We just get these occasional like, huh, that's weird. Yeah. And then we move and along and it's never discussed again. Yeah, like like I think it would have been an interesting conflict and it was set up as such although it, they moved past it pretty quickly of like is jade going to stay with her people or is she going to keep going with kit the woman she loves and then at the end of the episode kit gets nabbed by trolls and so they go on a rescue mission and then jade right. just keeps going with them also everybody gets really really high and, oh yes you know, that was fun though. has had some whole truths i'm also they, like they, 
you're on an extremely dangerous quest. Do y'all think this is the time? <laughs> I feel like you should be less high than this while on your extremely dangerous quest in an extremely dangerous place. I mean, I'm also pretty sure they weren't intending to get high. Like it's like it's like they're right. handing out they're handing around the fruits and 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 Kit's like, what is this? And Borman's like, it's a tasty looking fruit. <laughs> right. We also get a lot of like sexualizing of Borman in this episode. Uh, <laughs> that like he he and Scorpio apparently like had like a very hot thing at some point. Yeah, yeah. Like also. Like, it's interesting, because, like, so many, so many, like, works of fiction have, it's like, it's like, we're gonna get the, we're gonna get, like, the dashing knight together with, like, the, with, like, the, with, like, the bookish mage or something, but, like, this show, the knight is with the knight, the mm-hmm. the mage is with the mage, and the rogue is with the rogue. <laughs> yeah, which, you know, it's like, all right, you know, like, I mean, yeah, I will say, like, I... I mean, I buy all of those couples with the slight exception of Graydon and Alora because kind of neither of them has a personality. Yeah. Yeah. I I may I may disagree. I may like Graydon and Alora more than you do. But Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, I was just like, I, I can't get invested. I feel like you're both just I, so boring. Like, I will Graydon, say, like I, Graydon has like redeeming moments. Alora I found intensely boring. I like them both as characters more than I like their relationship with each other. Mm. Alora's relationship with Kit ends up genuinely interesting, but Alora's relationship with Graydon, it's like, oh, okay, this is happening. Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, they really don't do much to say. I mean, I don't really understand why they are meant to okay i actually don't totally understand if she does like him or not it's like sort of unclear that's that's also yeah like it it seems kind of one-sided that his thing for her right and then it's sort of like at the end it's like is she into him or is she just like no longer into eric but if she's definitely not it but for most of it she seems definitely not into him which seems very much like dude i feel like maybe you need to stop like, I feel like she's made it clear. Like, she's made it clear, in fact, that she is here because she is chasing a different guy. I feel like maybe you should just, like, not be hitting on her. Yeah. 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 Like, yeah. I, I, yeah. I feel like I don't know. That actually made his character worse. That he, like, seems like he, like, can't stop hitting on this woman who, like, clearly isn't interested in him. Kind of giving me, like, incel vibes. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Oh, we also learn, I think, in this episode that he just has, like, a penchant for getting possessed and also oh, got yeah, possessed yeah. and killed his brother a while back. Uh-huh. He's like, I, did, I know what's happening because this has all happened before. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, yeah, no, like, I just, every now and then I just get possessed. I'm like, oh, you're really selling yourself as a viable romantic partner. I just get possessed sometimes. Okay. <clears throat> cool. Yeah. Anyway. We also, uh, in episode five, get the brief cameo from the brownies. Yes. Yeah, so it was, a, it was uh, nice to see Rule again. Yeah. We get to see Rule. So the Bone Reavers have captured our heroes and they've locked everyone up separately. Like, Borman is taken to Scorpia's tent. Elora and Kit are in one cell. Willow and Graydon are in another cell. Jade is being given special treatment. Yeah. But Rule helps helps Willow and Graydon escape their cell. And, and Willow's like, you want to come with us? And, and Rule's like, nah. 
I'm old and I've got a family. Mm. <laughs> this is my daughter. <laughs> She's she she need I want I really would like if she would like move out of my house and get a job. <laughs> uh, this show also I will say has a lot of like millennials. Am I right? Jokes, which I increasingly it was like, ugh, do we have to? Yeah. But you know, positive I will say I'm I am all here for Borman and Scorpia. I I hope those two figure I hope those two figure it out. Yeah, uh, and I am also. I- on board with the fact that, you know, Jade and Kit kind of start being like figuring their shit out before Kit's, you know, grabbed by the trolls. And and Kit and Alora start to like do this is I think where like their actual like friendship really starts developing. Because mm-hmm. like Kit tells Alora, like, you did make that bush grow in the in the in the forest. Like it was a very nice bush. Um Yeah. Yeah. And and you and you are pr- probably actually better at this magic thing than, than you are giving yourself credit for right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, that, that was nice. That was And nice. I think that, and that's the pep talk that gives Alora the uh, mojo to blast their way out of the cell. Right. <laughs> like right. she, she starts muttering this incantation and, and it doesn't work. And, and Kit's like, are you making that up? <laughs> and Alora and is like smacking the wand, like you would a piece of technology that is not quite working. Right. <laughs> Right. She, she's like blowing on the tip like it's a Nest cartridge. <laughs> and apparently that fixes it because it works that the gets next it done. time. <laughs> yep. It gets it done. This is where they go from like unnecessary animosity to two friends with one brain cell between them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is, which is a vibe that is fun. I like. Like that, the whole like we are on the same wavelength, but it is a dumb teenage wavelength. And I, mm, I'm, t- you know, on the one hand, I don't hate that they're presenting a bunch of like sixteen year olds as like not super brave. Um, mm-hmm. Like I don't think that's unrealistic necessarily, but also it. Ugh, I don't know. Sometimes it makes it like hard to really kind of get behind these people. It's just like you what. Although why is this in the first place? It actually kind of doesn't make sense that there's this really important, like, source of, like, you really need to save the life of my son. This is a really important mission. I'm going to send this one old guy, like, a convict and 16 and, like, four teenagers. What? Yeah. Like, it's great as, like, a D&D party, but oh, as a, like, coordinated strike being ordered by, like, a monarch, it's like, really? These guys? You don't have anybody are- else? They are a phenomenal D and D party. Like they are, like as a D and D show, this is this is a good one. Yeah, it's no I mean, My I, Little Pony friendship is magic, but it's still a good one. I mean, um, yeah, and and in part, I will say some of my disappointment is that, like, I I think you could have done something more interesting with these characters than what I felt like they ultimately did. Like, I feel like the characters mostly had like potential. That's true. I yeah. just was ultimately kind of like left somewhat cold on like how things actually played out. Mm-hmm. Also at the end of the episode, we finally get a shot of where Eric has ended up. And that yeah. is empty city filled with ruins in a yes. desert. And he's like, how did I get here? 
I'm going to just, for the sake of convenience, I will call it what we eventually learn it is, which is the immemorial city. There are these ruins. He kind of wanders around for a while and just ends up back where he started from. Uh, obviously, yeah. there's supposed to be something mystical going on there. He, he does the logical decision of like, okay, I'm here. There's nothing here. I don't want to be here. I'm gonna, just going to pick a direction, walk that direction. And then he just loops back around to the Sydney city. And that's when he's like, oh, this is weird. Yes. And also starts drinking the uh, the liquid that is made available to him, which I would like to term evil gazpacho. Yeah, it's 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 like it looked like orange custard to me. It looked it looked tasty. We we learned that it is evil orange custard, but it's yeah, but it's it's the only like source of hydration in the in this right he's found it's, yes of like so. any kind of sustenance apparently whatsoever but yes i yeah gazpacho was uh was my immediate was my immediate yeah. thought of somebody who spends a lot of time in spain <laughs> it's just a big old bowl of gazpacho <laughs> They've been captured by the trolls. This is another one of those moments where uh, Kit's like, Hi, I'm Kit Tantalos, the daughter of Mad Mardigan. Is that of interest to you? Come on, girl. Come on. Uh, it's very, <laughs> very stupid. I love the, the vibe of the lead troll because he's like, he's not like your, your, your standard, like, or he's not your standard, like, orc, like, oh, I've got the big, tough, uh, dumb voice. No, he sounds like, he sounds like, a manager, which in a lot of like, like yeah. a, a manager pretending to like, you know, you know, like a, the, the quote unquote friendly kind of yeah. retail manager mm-hmm. who really aren't, but they're, but they're trying to like, that is a vibe for a villain. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like that, it. that was, that was fun. The like, the like, like anywho okay. was a little like jarring, but like, yeah, it's, he was kind of a fun vibe. It's, it's like, it's like, I hate you, but also you're entertaining in a good way. <laughs> Yeah. We also meet Sai Alagash, who was originally <laughs> introducing himself as Mad Mardigan. And Kit's like, uh-huh. you're not Mad Mardigan. And he's like, I sure am. I've missed you, kiddo. I'm your dad. She's like, no. <laughs> and, and Willow is also there because Willow also got captured. Uh, and he's yes. like, no, <laughs> you're not Mad Mardigan. And he's like, okay, fine, I'm not. Eventually, he like reveals that like Mad Mardigan went... Well, this is, he reveals it later once everyone's together. So we should probably do things in order so we don't confuse everyone, including myself. <laughs> right. Although the the kind of events of this end up being being slightly confusing. Yeah. There's a whole bit a where little. in terms of as they're, as they're attempting to rescue the captives, the people who have not been captured. So that's what uh, Alora and Graydon... And Elora, is Jade with them as well? Elora, Graydon, Jade, Borman, and Scorpia is with them because a lot yes, of Scorpia's right. people got captured in this raid. So that's she's right. here to rescue them. She splits from them pretty early because she wants to rescue her people. And, and right. Borman's and Borman like is like, okay, good luck. I may come back someday. <laughs> Who right. knows? I'm a lovable rogue. I may or may not come back. <laughs> They disguise themselves as trolls, which is uh, also clearly stolen from Lord of the Rings. Uh huh. Yep. Graydon gets like drafted into this like workforce because he because it's like you come with us and he's like uh, no thanks and he's like excuse me I'm I'm your manager. <laughs> there was there was some distrust sown because like Borman's like yeah there was this guy Alagash who was in our party but he stabbed Mad Mardigan in the back and meanwhile Alagash is telling 
Kit and Willow, like, yeah, Borman stabbed us all in the back. Yeah. I think we eventually find out that, like, neither of them were, I mean, neither of them are perfect by any means, but, like, they're not, right. neither of them are, are like, the horrible person that they're each making the other out to be. Right, yeah. Oh, we haven't even talked about the Curess, which has been this this whole thing that has been set up as, like, Borman's whole arc. Yeah, I consistently found slightly unclear exactly what the fuck is the Chimerian. There's like the Chimerian queer ass and there's the Lux. And I'm like, what are these things? And what it's, do they do? And what are they for? I caught on because I was I was listening to Borman's original explanation. Um, <laughs> it's like the Chimerian cuirass is this thousand year old set of magic armor. The Lux Arcanum is like this piece that is used to activate the magic of it and so like back in episode three when the party split borman and kit went off to try and find the lux because borman stashed right. it away somewhere and now that the curious is supposed to be somewhere underneath this mine but he's like but alagash went and stole it right and, and then and- there's the thing that they end up with which is like the breastplate which one is that the queer ass or the lux that's the cuirass. The lux is like the the tube, and then right. and then when you put the tube into the into the breastplate, then it then it like grows into this rad suit of magic armor. Okay. Um, if you are worthy to wear it, right? Uh, which Borman eventually concludes that he well, because Alagash tries to use it because uh, he he like has the breastplate and the and the lux, and so he's like sticks the Lux into the spot where it's supposed to go, but it doesn't turn on and he gets stabbed anyway. And he's like, oh, well, huh. I guess I'm not worthy of it. Also, I'm wounded. So I guess I'll just make a heroic last stand and let you guys, and and buy you guys time to get out of here. <laughs> yeah. Right. They have all that. Uh, Kit also like, yeah, here's, here's her father's voice. She tries to like go through this like gateway. That seems like a not great place to go. And- Kit is ready to charge through this void door into the land of death or whatever, but Jade and I think Elora like physically drag her out so that she right not do that, and then she's only mad at Elora. Mm-hmm. Yep, because <laughs> we're back to this vibe. Uh, yeah. Elora, meanwhile, like she like well, someone she just fucking dropped the wand. Oh yeah. Because, like, this is Cherlindria's wand from the original. Yeah, movie. the wand's a big um, deal. The wand is a pretty big deal. Willow's like, you are not ready to use the wand yet. And at some point, she swipes it anyway. Because even though she, uh, Willow still thinks she's not ready. But we find out why she, like, her not being ready might be a problem. Because she accidentally, like, in her nervousness at being around the evil orange custard starts that like sets off this spell that starts like causing random earth tremors which when Mm -hmm. you're in a mine is a bad thing (laughs) yes yes and they're like walking across at the end this like lava situation and uh, while kit is of like of like orange custard and while kit is sulking she falls in it's the it's the evil orange because like there's like a there's like a sheen over the top of like i guess orange custard ice it's hard to well this is the part where it's kind of evil orange creme brulee yeah yeah (laughs) and and like the the surface is solid but but every once in a while this 
And like, you know, just stepping on it is not enough to break it, but like every once in a while, a big rock will fall and break through the surface, which then like seals up almost immediately. Right. But then a big rock falls like right behind Kit, right as she is like having this outburst and she drops in the, in the, in the drink, which then seals over. And so they are like trying to like break through again. Delora eventually does it with like a big blast of magic so they can haul her out. Yeah. But having found the wand. Yeah. It's like, oh, it dropped to the bottom of the mine. And then as they're walking across the bottom of the mine, it's like, oh, hey, the wand. Good, good. Glad we found it. Mm hmm. But it's also it kind of like, okay, so like we lost the wand, but then we found the wand. So it didn't actually really matter that much that we lost the wand. Yeah. We could have just not lost the wand. Eh. I don't know. And Eric meets a mysterious young woman. I wonder if she's going to turn out to be evil. I bet she won't turn out to be evil. No, nah, she's, she's like, I'm, I'm a prisoner here, same as yourself. Yeah, I'll bet. The only person you've seen in days. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. not suspicious at all. Yep. That doesn't feel like it's stolen from uh, exactly the same character in the Wheel of Time books. <laughs> anyway. So yes, he makes friends with her. Her name is uh, her name is Lily. I'm gonna I'm actually gonna talk about the name choice in a bit, and she is from Kashmir, allegedly. Allegedly, ostensibly, actually, yes. she might actually be, given what we find out about yeah. her later. Yeah, who the, knows? The, the back the backstory she di- gives is cons- is actually consistent with a very obvious twist we learn about her not long after. Also, okay, it's a point of this episode. I will add. I don't know if it was, like, something that happened in the lighting or if, like, I don't know, she had, like, a rough weekend and, like, did, like, some dyeing with her hair situation. But, like, Alora's hair, I swear to God, like, turns red in this episode. So, so, actually, that's a, that's a trend that had been going through the whole show. And it is, so, if you remember in the original movie, Alora's a redhead, naturally. But mm, Sorsha mm-hmm. has been dyeing it blonde as part of the whole disguise the chosen one shtick. But as they go ac- go through this quest, they haven't been keeping up the dye, so it's been fading out. Oh, okay. I, I missed that there was a reason. I just all of a sudden I'm like, why are you a redhead now? When the fuck did that happen? Because they haven't been they haven't been keeping up with the dye regimen. I think I missed the gradualness of it. And at some point, and I was just in this episode, I'm like. Yeah, because like her roots were showing as early as episode three. Mm, I, I missed her roots. I, I have to say, yeah. I guess I was not paying sufficient attention to Alora's hair. I was, I was just like, what, what, what's happening? Okay, uh, what are the logistics of that? Like, did she never ask why somebody just like dyed her hair every month? I feel like you'd notice as a 16 year old if your hair is being dyed constantly. Well, no, she she brings this up during the during the flashback when like Willow is talking to very young Alora by the well. And she's like, oh yeah, my, my mother, who's like, you know, the, her like sort of adoptive mother, that figure that Sorsha has entrusted her to. Yeah. She, she, uh, she puts this stuff in my hair and it turns it blonde. And this is, and I'm this fine is with, just a thing that. Ha- I'm fine that with that being just a thing when she's five. But I feel like at some point when you get into your teens, you'd be like, Maybe I want to see what my hair looks like when you don't do this. Yeah. I don't know. But I don't know. 
well, anyway, thank you for explaining to me the thing that I clearly missed about like why I'm like all I'm like all of a sudden I'm like, what magically changed your hair color? Okay, so no, it's it's been it's been a thing that's been ongoing. Okay, it's, good. It, it, I, I I thought it was actually set up pretty cleverly because it's okay. it's been because because it like very gradually changes over the series because it, it's implied that like they're taking time to cross yeah. this vast distance. Yeah. So over time, yeah. her hair is returning to its natural color. Yeah, no, fair enough. Fair enough. As I said, I, I'm, I'm genuinely glad to have an explanation <laughs> for what I found baffling. Um, they are making their journey. They're trying to go across the shattered sea. They come to this cabin where there is this like creepy elderly fisherman, Zeb. Played by Julian Glover, who seems, yes. he seems not all there because he's like, he's having trouble remembering anything really yes and this is definitely where you know one of the like can we trust these dudes yeah but the gales end up attacking and they take off and they get this carriage that is drawn by a creature that is called a mudmander who graydon names kenneth and i adore kenneth (laughs) and it's a like mud dragon love kenneth Kenneth is fun. Kenneth's um, my best also, name. like apparently the Shattered Sea is about three inches deep, but it just goes on forever. Yeah. Which is like, okay. Okay. This is yep. I not not what I expect from a sea, but you know, this is like a fantastical world. It's sure, this is an interesting choice. Like, yeah. I mean, it's basically just a really long bit of mud, actually. Yeah, yeah. Graydon does figure out at this point that uh, that he also has magic, and so yeah. you know he's he, training he shoot, as well. He shoots it out of his flute because apparently, mm-hmm. like it's it's a, it's like you can change. Willow's like, yeah, you can channel magic through like anything that's uh, that like really resonates with you on a personal level, and also it's made of wood, like a wand. Um, but I I really enjoyed this part because it's like okay, so now we have. Uh, this man who is kind of a weird fit for the party. He mm-hmm. casts magic out of a flute and he knows all the lore. They have made like like a classical D&D bard. I feel like he would be a great D&D character. I feel like the show didn't totally know what to do with him. Yeah. But I like I I enjoyed that because like the bard is one of those D and D classes that's like, mm-hmm. is there really a there's a good example of this in fiction that isn't just like literally a D and D bard like Scanlan Shorthalt? Yeah. So I was right. like, okay, okay, I'm here for that. Yeah, <laughs> and fun. I feel I feel like it was cool in the sense of like introducing potential. I just I'm not sure that the show got there ultimately for uh-huh. me in terms of doing something <laughs> with it. Yeah, yeah. Everybody sort of reconciles and get and get along, you know. Yeah. Kid and Jade finally make out. Yeah. That's that was good fun. for, you know, good for them. About I'm hundred percent like, you know here for that relationship. Because yeah, they were about to have the big damn kiss right when like right when Kit got nabbed by trolls. Right. Yeah. So now they finally get to have the kiss. I'm glad they finally get the kiss. Uh-huh. Happy about and, that, you know. And it's it's just one of those long journeys that like takes so long that they all start to go mad a, mm-hmm. a bit yeah which also feels very 
the end of Lord of the Rings and Sam and Frodo going through Mordor. I guess. I guess. I don't know. I was thinking more because Mordor has stuff in it that they have to avoid. Yeah, the shattered, but... the shattered Sea is just an endless plane of nothingness. Yes, but you know, I don't know. There's sort of like some kind of aspects of the like I don't know, kind of like misery of the inhospitable landscape. But, um... Yeah, yeah. There's an example in my mind, but I can't remember the name of it. But it's not Mordor. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's well. It certainly doesn't feel like they totally made it up. I liked it. I thought I, I thought it was I thought like the idea of like, yeah, this is a shallow sea that goes forever. Mm-hmm. I thought that was I did, a, yeah, that was a, a kind of like, cool concept. That's, a, that's an original-ish concept. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's yeah. a cool that's a cool concept. Mm-hmm. No, that's fair. Everybody sort of reconciles. Meanwhile, Lily Shocker reveals that actually she was evil the whole time and is like she's, the one who brought Eric to the city and is the crone. Yeah, she's the crone. Uh, mm-hmm. Also, Eric gets this interesting vision because like he's he's at the he's at the fountain of evil orange custard, which mm-hmm. he's taken a drink from, and he sees in the evil orange custard Kit falling into the evil orange custard from the other side, right. from the right. bottom. The orange he custards dumped. are lit. Why couldn't she have just made a journey through the orange custard? Well, apparent, apparently no one realized that, but, mm. you know, still. He he dives in to try and save her, but she gets rescued by Alora and them instead, of course. And then Lily pulls him out so that he doesn't drown. And of course, you know, after after having, you know, had his had his fill of the evil Gazpacho, uh, she takes him inside to, you know, get to have the uh, the evil eggnog. Yes. <laughs> the milk that worm. Is, that's what it is. <laughs> eggnog. Uh, from your from your eggnog chalice. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. The milk of the worm. And then our heroes finally reach the edge of the Shattered Sea, which is like this enormous waterfall, like that falls out into nothing. You're like, is this a Sinbad kind of a deal where the world is flat and you're just going off the edge? That's a, that's a, that's a deep cut. I like, I don't know anyone who remembers the Sinbad, the Sailor DreamWorks movie. <laughs> Gotta um, say, I do not. I cannot weigh in on that one. Everyone's like, this is the end of the line. There is nothing past this. But then Kit and Alora make what amounts it's a leap of faith basically and they and they jump yeah. off the edge together and uh end up washing up at the immemorial city yes where they which eventually they, find eric who we now who, know is evil because, because he's, he's cut his hair <laughs> and just and has stolen his sister's outfit well that too but i think <laughs> i think like previously eric's whole vibe is like it's like yeah i know be I know going vegan isn't gonna isn't gonna save the environment, but it's but it's a little thing that I can do. And now he's and now he's done a complete one eighty to the vibe of. It's like, yeah, I really think NFTs are a good investment, bro. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, yep. It's like, oh, I I miss I miss your sheer flowered blouse (laughs) and your luscious locks, Eric. Yeah, now he's now he's in evil leather. Mm-hmm. Yeah, before he just had like le- be like leather pants. Mm-hmm. 
Well, so that takes us into the final episode where now evil Eric is trying to get Alora and Kit to join them in the Order of the Worm. Yeah. It's like, Drink the evil showed, eggnog. She's showed me the truth. We're going to usher in a new age. And they're like, this sounds like an age that's probably bad. And they're like, no, no, it's great. We swear. <laughs> Yeah, the Gales have them surrounded, so we get this fun scene of Elora and Kit like like standing back to back, so they won't get snuck up on. But they're trying; they're both trying to talk to Eric, but they're also trying to keep an eye on the Gales, so they keep like spinning around, <laughs> and it's it's pretty funny because yeah, as they're trying to like keep this conversation going. Yeah, I do like that, and I actually do like their dynamic in that as they're like trying to trying to kind of figure all this all this out, and like, yeah. and they're like, "Oh, do you want to take this one with like trying to get evil Eric back at back?" And like, they're like, "Yeah, you can take this one." Mm-hmm. Uh, that that actually was kind that actually kind of worked for me. That was kind of fun. Yeah. They have like the like fake world that's like a trick of the worm to con- try and convince them. First yep. of all, I'm like at this point, I'm like still like, Alora. After all this, you're still like won over by the like you're going to marry Eric thing? Like, that's, no, that's she, tempting to you? Well, well... Temporarily? That's that's the temptation that they have for her, but it, it really doesn't... She, she like, doesn't fall for it, because she's like, I don't like what Eric is now. <laughs> I mean, she eventually doesn't fall for it, but it seems like yeah. it's at least meant to be, like, temporarily tempting. Yeah. Well, I mean, she's she's, like, you know, trying to talk to him, see if, like, there's any old Eric in yeah. there, I think. They also have that exact same scene at the end of the Wheel of Time. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Of, like, the dark one, like, tempting the main character, like, the main person. Yeah, and, and Kit gets a vision of Sorsha, who's like, mm-hmm. I should never have tried to force you to be something you're not. I should right. I, I should never have tried, and I should never have tried to, like, force you to marry Graydon, and you should... You should be happy with whoever you want. And then she sees like Jade standing off in the distance. But then she hears Mad Mardigan. Right. Uh, who says like, you're Alora's shield. Do the right yeah. thing. Yep. And and that snaps her out of it. And then we get like cut to Elora is about to marry Eric. And the crone is like officiating. It's like, do you take this man to be your lawful wedded husband? And Elora's like, no, actually, no, not really. <laughs> I'm I'm not that into him after he cut his hair. Mm-hmm. The luscious locks are really doing it for me. Um, <laughs> and uh, and then Willow crashes the wedding. Willow finally shows up because we saw Jade and and Borman and Graydon do their leaps of faith after Kit and Alora. Because like Jade goes first because it's like, what do I believe in? I like what what do I have faith in? Kit and then. Graydon's like, I feel more useful with these guys than I ever have before. And then he goes mm-hmm. and then Borman just jumps. Uh, I don't remember what his thing was, but but we didn't see Willow jump. So now Willow shows up and, and it's like, he, it's like Willow's like, yeah, I might just go home to Mims. But then he doesn't. Right. <laughs> Because he keeps um, having, like, he keeps having these, like, visions of, like, horrible things happening back home, which I guess we actually never bother finding out if they're true or not. Yeah, well, I mean, he's not in a position to do anything about it. Well, right, yeah, but yeah, it is sort we, of, like, we, worth, well, like, it would be it would be nice to know if actually, like, yeah. his daughter's alive. Yeah, we may or may not find out in season two. 
Um, right. He shows up, crashes the wedding, and dispels the illusion of this wedding ceremony. And, and it turns out Alora is actually lying on the altar about to be fed the evil eggnog like Eric was. Yep. And Alora um, gets up, uh, pulls out the wand, st- gets into this cool sorcerer duel with the crone. Jade and Kit start fighting against Eric. We get this big action scene. Get this whole big, like, also, like, here are our childhood memories, and this is how I'm going to get you to not be evil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With Kit and Eric. Yeah, the uh, the whole, I know you're in there somewhere sort of a deal. Graydon tries to blast the crone from behind with his magic, which, and she's like, actually, that was a respectable attempt. But then she, like, just straight up disintegrates him. So he seems to be dead, but as we will find out, a little more complicated. A little bit more complicated. But yeah, she has this big wizard duel with with Elora, and Kit and Jade are trying to get through to Eric. Elora kills the crone. She like blasts yeah. her, blasts a hole in her, and then the crone is says to Eric like, "You must be the chosen one now." And like she kisses him, and like we've seen the crone's true form at this point. The crone's true form is just horrifying, like eldritch yeah. abomination thing. Eric it's like Eldritch see- Abomination with shades of Bavmorda, as yeah. opposed to this like very pretty brunette. Yeah, and, and like Eric is still seeing this very pretty brunette, but like Kit and Jade are seeing him snog this like just horrifying right. thing, and they're like, uh. Nope. Nope. And this is about the point where Borman gives Kit the cuirass because he's like, I, yes. I, I'm not worthy of this. I never was, but you are. And then he hands the Lux to Jade so that she can like activate it for her. And then we get to see this is actually some really cool armor. It is really cool armor. Yeah. So, you know, she she gets this really cool armor that she'll, I guess, have for more than two minutes and in the next season. Yeah. Like after the battle's done, Jade's like, are you ever going to take that off? And Kit's like, yeah, as so, soon as I figure out how. <laughs> right. So like, yeah, how, how do you take that off? So they win the battle. Yep. And, and land on get, heading home. And they get Eric back with his with his me- memories of, you know, childhood love from his, like platonic love from his sister, which they stole from Frozen. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but and um, it turns out that Graydon still alive. He's in the realm of the worm. And now the worm has the appearance of uh, Alora, but you know she's evil because she has short hair now. Uh-huh. Oh, and also she's, like, dressed evil and is talking evil. Like, Yeah, yeah. She's like, yes. I want you to help me usher in a new age. I want you. Yes. <laughs> yes. And that is, so. that, is what, that is what we end on. But we, but we also yes. get a nice shot of, like, the adventuring party with great with Eric standing in Graydon's place, like like just sort of staring off into the sunset, like time to head home. We did it, yeah. gang. Except me, Eric. I did nothing. Except Eric. We're not gonna stop and mourn for Graydon. We're just <laughs> yeah, I think they say something about honoring his memory. Mm-hmm. And our kind of final thing is that there's like a, we see like a book being closed and being put back on the shelf next to two more volumes. So I guess Uh that means this is supposed to be three seasons. Yep. Oh, and also, even though they do get him uneviled, like Elora is just not into Eric anymore. Yeah, which (laughs) is fine. I mean, that that relationship really didn't seem to have legs to begin with anyway. 
nope, nope. Actually, there's there's a there's a great moment where it's, Laura's like, yeah, I decided not to marry your brother, and Kit's like, yeah, it's a good call. <laughs> yeah, that was the show Willow. So at this point, we can get into what we think it did well or not from a medievalism perspective. As usual, it's yeah, fantasy. Is- they can kind of do whatever they want. But I had some kind of notes of things that I wanted to talk about. First is that, as usual, we have one of these worlds where people who are like royalty are shocked, shocked by the concept that they might have to make an arranged marriage, Mm -hmm. which is my least favorite trope. Yeah. Yeah. Like, at least Eric is a moron. Like, so that's justified on his end, but... (laughs) But Kit's not a moron, exactly. Kit's, well, I don't know. Maybe she is kind of a moron, but she at least like seems yeah. like somebody sort of like told her what's up, and she's and she's like has a marriage arranged for her. You'd think that like like I don't know. It just doesn't make sense that she's okay. Yeah. It doesn't make sense to me that Kit's so surprised. It also doesn't make sense that like nobody's bothering her to arrange a marriage for Eric. <laughs> just yeah, like, yeah, do whatever true. I guess. Especially that, like, I mean, you know, so I I will say in terms of, you know, actual medievalism, it is like a legit problem that that because in a, you know, medieval, like Christian context, the only thing that can create a marriage is like speaking words of present tense consent, or future tense consent followed by sexual intercourse. So that means that like clandestine marriages that might involve, say, a prince and the kitchen maid are like not outside the realm of possibility and are things that occasionally show up and people are then like, fuck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like not necessarily quite on that level, but you know, I mean, you know, like a little bit later, but Anne Boleyn and Henry Percy, like pre-contract thing, you know, that was because like they, like, I don't know, very possibly, who knows, just like got married clandestinely and then got, got like shut down because she wasn't high status enough. Yeah. That shit happened. Uh, so like, I feel like they need to like find a person for Erica to avoid that yeah. happening. Because <laughs> yeah. he's like on the verge. I mean, but also like there's the twist that like, you know, she's the empress and therefore she outranks him. Um, yes, but. So who knows what's going on there? Like maybe, maybe that's why Sorsha does not express any well Sorsha doesn't get on his case about it probably because he's like actively hiding it from her but also it's like oh my son wants to marry the empress well that's actually a good match <laughs> but does he like does she know that that's actually like the the flavor of this week because it kind of seems like there's like a different one every week there's that too yeah like, because Eric is like, I really love this girl. And Kit's like, you say that about all your girls. And like, and he, and like, he Although doesn't he does, know her name. No, he calls he her Dove. He, he does know her name. It, he in, does? It, in the immemorial city, when he's talking to Lily, he, she, he's like, he's like, there's this, there's this great girl, Dove, and I'm really devoted to her. And, and, she, and, he's, and she's like, Dove, is that her name, really? And he's like, well, no, her name is Brunhilde, but she, but she hates That's that right. name. So, and so That's it's right. Like, okay, so he does yeah. he does know her name. Also, yeah. I that's feel why like everyone it's... calls her dumb because she hates the name Brunhilda. Also, I feel like Sorsha was punishing her by giving her the fake name Brunhilda. I'm just saying. Yeah. That's a really bad name. That's it really bad. Yeah. And she says people made fun of her. Yeah, that's true. Other just kind of fun uh, little notes that I wanted to make. There is a reference to uh, a book being bound in satyr skin and counting satyrs as, you know, 
human-ish creatures in this context, yeah. I would like to note that although books bound in human skin are a thing, they're actually a later thing. Fun fact. Okay. So we have, okay, so there, there's a whole like new uh, book about this written by uh, Rare Books Librarian, Megan Rosenbloom. The book is called Dark Archives and it is, you know, written for uh, for kind of, in, you know, to be accessible like to a popular audience. So uh, people uh-huh. should check it out. Very interesting. But, you know, you can actually like do testing on the binding of books and verify, therefore, whether books that are said to be bound in human skin really are or not. And based on this, the oldest examples that we have found that the, uh, the the examples that are earlier than this have been found to not, in fact, really be human skin. The earliest examples we have are, I think, kind of like late 17th going into the 18th century. And in fact, most of the extant and like test proven human skin books seem to have been, in fact, made by uh, various medical professionals in the 19th century. Okay. All right. That's not creepy at all. Nope. That's, mm, this is fine. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. But anyway, I I want everybody to know who's like the Middle Ages, (laughs) they were weird and violent back then, to be like, you know what's a modern phenomenon? Binding books into human skin. (laughs) (laughs) Modern, everybody. Modern. Other note that we do have, uh, I think I, I think I talked about this in the previous Willow episode because uh, Raziel was uh, represented as a possum at some point, and in this we have a reference to uh, the the brined possum bladder as being an ingredient in the exorcism. It, it itself is not a, uh, an ingredient. They're prepping the ritual to exorcise Graydon, and you know. Willow and Alora are going to do the magic because they're the sorcerers, but they sent the others out to like find ingredients and Kit comes right. back and she's like, I got everything but essence of nightshade. And Willow's like, you can't go skipping ingredients with magic. And so Elora's like, get some pr- brine possum bladder, boil it down because they only eat nightshade. So then you'll get your essence of nightshade, which she knows because she is, a, because she is a very good cook mm-hmm. being the kitchen yes. girl. Yes. Um, Indeed, yeah, and you know, which which I appreciate. You know, I mm-hmm. uh, I wanted to like her more than I did. I like the idea of somebody whose main personality trait is that they really like cooking and baking. <laughs> it started promising, and then I just I don't know. She just wasn't wasn't doing it for me. But they they do have to you know kind of go and fetch this brine possum bladder, and so just to once again remind everybody, there would not be possums or opossums in a pre modern European setting. Possums are native to Australia, and the opossum is native to the Americas. So nothing in the possum category would have been available. The other thing that I found sort of irritating is that there's this weird undercurrent of prudishness in a lot of ways in the Mm -hmm. show. So that like, for example, I think at some point, like, I don't know, Borman's like, I got an injury in my groin and Willow's like, don't say groin in front of like women. No, he's like, he's like, don't say, don't say groin in mixed company. (laughs) Yes. In mixed company. Yes. Um, But like, yeah, like the don't say groin at some point, like Allagash starts talking about something that he's calling a friendship parlor, which I'm like, so that's just a brothel, right? You're just, you're just not saying brothel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which I comment on because people, I mean, on the one hand, it obviously, I think in context, like makes sense in that it is a show that is meant to be accessible to children. But on the other hand, it also kind of fits into this kind of weird 
tendency that people have to assume that the medieval past was uh, deeply prudish and that people were kind of unwilling to talk about or acknowledge sex in, in public settings, whereas in fact, the opposite is true. My God, there are so many penises. There are penises everywhere. I, in fact, was just looking at some like like badges that people made of just like penises in the Musée de Cluny in Paris. There is like a like mock pilgrimage badge, which are like three penises carrying a vulva on a litter. Like there are Incredible. multiple stories that are just like extended dick jokes. Like <laughs> this is not a, pr- a particularly like prudish setting. It just gets like reinterpreted as such through the lens of like Victorian medievalism. Mm-hmm. And Victorian medievalism is... It's bullshit. Oh. The Victorians ruined everything, as we all know. The Victorians ruined everything. Yeah. The Victorians ruined everything the Renaissance didn't get to first. Yes, true. But yeah, you know, like, it, like if you read medieval literature, it like, like medieval literature is dirty. Oh, like yeah. Chaucer is dirty. Oh, yeah, no. What was it? You once reviewed a porn parody of Chaucer that was <laughs> and one made of the, the argument. More- <laughs> One of the more faithful adaptations of Chaucer out there. Yes, I did make that argument about the porn parody of Chaucer. <laughs> that it was far from the least accurate form of medievalism I have seen. <laughs> so yeah, so like that found it, that so, so I found that annoying. Like they could have just not made the jokes. I mean, like, because I'm fine, obviously, with something being like yeah. kid friendly. But I feel like... Okay, I'd ra- like I also like in general, like I kind of like, all right, if it's supposed to be kid friendly, just like make it kid friendly. Don't like include the like stupid euphemistic sex jokes. Yeah. I don't know. That sort of irritated me as a thing. And with that, okay. So for the Historia and Veritas, I want to talk about some interesting kind of inspirations and antecedents for some things surrounding the order of the worm. So first I want to talk about the uh, choice of the name Lily for the woman who then turns out to be the crone. So I found that fun as a possible reference, and you know, maybe I'm giving them too much credit, but I might not be, as a possible reference to Lilith. I feel it's, I I felt it was intentional because like I, as I was watching, I drew that connection almost immediately. Yeah, right? It makes sense. Who is Lilith? So basically, this uh, first comes out of a Jewish midrash, uh, and, and midrash is a kind of biblical interpretive strategy that uh, kind of boils down to basically it's like Bible fanfic, <laughs> but it counts as like a really valid, serious strategy of biblical interpretation. You know, you know what? Fan fiction maybe also counts as a valid strategy of literary interpretation. Yeah. So this is the the original version. If you actually sit down and read Genesis, which I make my students do many semesters you will see that there are in fact two different narratives of how of how woman was created. That first it just says, God created humans, male and female, he created them. And then there's a whole bit about he created Eve, the woman out of Adam's rib. Mm-hmm. So uh, there is a Jewish Midrashic interpretation that we first see in a text called the Alphabet of Ben Sirah, which is dating from sometime between 700 and 1000 CE. Okay, you know, okay. Is- I thought... The way it was written, I thought Alphabet was the guy's name, and I was like, that's a weird name. Oh, no, no, that's what the the text is known as, yeah, the the Alphabet of Ben Sirah. And so this is, yeah, the earliest version of this Midrashic reading of the text, which essentially explains this by saying, actually, there were two women that were created. 
So he says that when God created his world and created Adam, he saw that Adam was alone and he immediately created a woman from earth like him for him and named her Lilith. He brought her to Adam and they immediately began to fight. Adam said, you shall lie below. And Lilith said, you shall lie below for we are equal and both of us were created from earth. To add in by that, we are absolutely talking about who is on top during sex. That is absolutely yeah. what that is meant to refer to, just uh-huh. to make sure that's clear to everybody, because sometimes my students are uh, at least like pretend they don't know that because they don't want to say it out loud in class. Yeah. They do not listen to each other. Can't possibly figure out a like, sometimes you're on top and sometimes I'm on top. Too bad. When Lilith saw the state of things, she uttered the holy name and flew into the air and fled. Adam immediately stood in prayer before God and said, master of the universe, see that the woman you gave me has already fled away. God immediately sent three angels and told them, go and fetch Lilith. If she agrees to come, bring her, and if she does not, bring her by force. The three angels went immediately and caught up with her in the Red Sea, in the place that the Egyptians were destined to die. They seized her and told her, if you agree to come with us, come, and if not, we shall drown you in the sea. She answered, darlings, I know myself that God created me only to afflict babies with fatal disease when they are eight days old. I shall have permission to harm them from their birth to the eighth day, and no longer when it is a male baby. But when it is a female baby, I shall have permission to 12 days. It's a circumcision thing for the males and a just like oh. extra because you're not holy because, oh. you know, you can't be circumcised. So you're not as holy right. if you're a girl. The angels would not leave her alone until she swore by God's name that wherever she would see them or their names in amulet, she would not possess the baby bearing it. They then left her immediately. That is the story of Lilith, who afflicts babies with disease. So basically, if you have a woman with sexual agency, she will go and become a baby killing demon. Then since like, you know, this woman, yeah, but since this woman like wanted equality, she fucking sucks, went off and became a demon and God had to create a better submissive woman out of Adam's rib. Oh, boy. And so I found this especially interesting because there also is, I think, a lot going on with, if one keeps going in Genesis, the other mythology surrounding Eve in terms of figuring out kind of what's going on with this order of the worm. So what is a worm? Laura Dannon with short hair, apparently. But... (laughs) When spelled with a Y, it usually means something along the lines of dragon. Indeed, that is, you know, what we, that is just the word for, you know, serpent, snake, dragon, there's not necessarily a lot of clear distinction between them. We see that terminology in a lot of Germanic pre-modern languages, including Old English. Tolkien often uh, also actually uses it in The Hobbit for the same reason that Smaug is occasionally referred to as a worm. So we're talking about like something in the like dragon, serpent, snake family, as opposed to like an earthworm, I assume, when we are talking at the order of the worm. Yeah. Interestingly, this also seems to be a rather woman-dominated order. Like, do we see anybody who's, like, active in the order of the worm as opposed to clearly, like, a level down and, like, subject who is a man? Well, I mean... Like, Kale's not se- top tier. No, I don't think not. the lich is top tier. Like, I think all of the, the, the gales are, like, the, servants to the crown. The lich feels on par with Beth Morna. You think like, so? I always saw them as being, like subordinates well because because they're all working for the crone yeah so so i think the gales are about on par with that morta but still the crone is like at the top and then above her is elora dan and with short hair 
<laughs> right. So also, you know, taking a feminine form at least. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, yeah. so like a lot, certainly like the, the order of the worms seems certainly like woman, woman run and like heavily female. Yeah. Which is less jarring in this context than it might be in some others, given that like a lot of things seem to be kind of like run by women in yeah. the context of Willow, hence our discussion about queenship on the last episode. The only male ruler that I think we see in either the movie or this is the King of Galadorn. Great. Right. Stat. Yeah. Yes. Because um, yeah, otherwise, because so... otherwise it's queens all the way up and down. Yeah. So like less, you know, striking in some ways, mm -hmm. but still, I yeah. think it is interesting given the medieval links between women and serpents. So here is where we will, of course, continue in our journey through Genesis as I uh, go back. Oh, I, I taught women in the Bible last semester. So now I'm just like, cool, I'm going to make everybody talk about the Bible, but like in a you know, <laughs> mean way that makes you hate the Bible. Um, I did, by the way, I got a comment on my midterm evaluations that said, why can't we read nice, sto nice, positive stories about women in the Bible? And I'm like, kids, that's not me. That's the Bible. Like, come on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, anyway. I... No, I, 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 I learned to dislike the Bible by reading the Bible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When I was, when I was 12, I made mm -hmm. a, I was like, I was like, okay, I'm going to give, I'm, I'm going to give this Christianity thing a real shot. I'm going to read the Bible cover to cover. And I made it about as far as second Kings. And I was like, I, no, yeah. I just, no, yeah. church, nah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, so that's. That's what I do in my teaching is I ruin the Bible for <laughs> the young Christians. Um, okay. So anyway, going back to going back to the Bible, of course, the most famous serpent that you see in Jewish and Christian traditions is, of course, the snake in the Garden of Eden. The snake tempts Eve, Eve tempts Adam. And so we've got this kind of immediate link that is created right between the snake and Eve. And Christians in particular often tend to understand the snake as representing the devil. This then is especially interesting because in a ton of medieval and early modern paintings representing this scene of temptation, the snake is represented with the head of a woman. Huh. Yeah. Like, a lot. Okay emphasizing this link between like the snake and Eve as both being this like temptress fig figures that fuck things up for all the poor nice men who have it <laughs> so hard out there. Oh, yeah. Which then kind of creates this interesting vibe that you then have the worm and the crone tempting Eric. Yeah. Who falls. Yeah. I mean, we also, of course, have the temptations of like Alora and Pitt, but... Right. Still, it is, like, that first, like, bit with Eric, which is what we see first, it's still very, uh, very, very Genesis. Very Genesis. Anyway, so I thought all this was, like, very interesting from a perspective of, like, using uh, this mythology in some ways. I'm not sure exactly how I feel about, let's, like, emphasize the role of women and evil and temptation as all being, like, wrapped up in each other. Yeah. I would find it problematic if this was the only, if, if like the evil faction is like the only place where women are in charge, that would suck. Yes. But in this, yeah. in the con, in the context of like, it's almost expected in this world that like women are the ones in charge. Like, cause the majority of rulers that we've seen both good and evil are women. And so I think, I, I, I don't think it's as bad 
because it's more of a because they're not the only ones, you know? Yeah, no, I I do totally agree with yeah. that. That I think it would be it would really bother me if it was just like this is where women have power and they sure are evil. Am I right? Here, yeah, right? Like, like everything is so women dominated like, in terms of positions of power that it doesn't feel like quite as weird. But uh, yeah. to take it back to to take it back to D and D again, back in ye olden days, the eighties, nineties. In, in D&D lore, like, the only culture that's, like, explicitly a matriarchy are the drow, who are, like, evil uh, spider demon worshippers who live deep underground. Right. And, like, that sucks. But if you have, like, other matriarchies in your world, like, yeah. say, the halflings or, the, or, like, the surface elves, then, like, the, then, like, also having the drow isn't as bad. Yeah, yeah. So, so I would say, yeah, that's how I kind of feel feel about this. But definitely, kind of worth noting that they are kind of drawing on things that definitely do have a like very particularly kind of uh, misogynist history, even if it doesn't have quite the same force in this show. Sure. Genesis. Genesis. Oh boy. With that, we can get into the Fabula Nostra, where we talk about a film or other piece of media inspired by this one. What do you have for this? Because I'm going to be honest, I half-assed it this week. I, I've had a lot going on. <laughs> um, okay. I spent my whole weekend at a Doctor Who convention instead of thinking about my Fabula Nostra. Um, mm-hmm. Fair. Inspired by this one. Because like, I do, I do like it. Like, despite everything, I like it, but uh, I don't, I don't really have anything beyond kind of generic notions of like, yeah, it's, it's a party of adventurers going on a big damn quest for some reason. And that's less of an idea and more of like, this is what most fantasy since Tolkien has been. Right. Um, I do love the big damn quest though. Like... It's, it's yeah, and this plays it, and like we've we've reached a point, I think, in like in the culture where where it's just it's so full of like deconstructions and subversions that it's nice and refreshing to see like something played straight for once. Um, yeah, that's true. Like I, I think I think it comes at I think it comes at that point for me. It's also hard for me to come up with a Fabula Nostra because my because my brain has been hyper focusing and hyper focusing hard on Ducktales of late. <laughs> like like that's actually the hardest thing about watching this show is that it's on Disney Plus and Ducktales is right there. Um, <laughs> and I wanted to watch Ducktales. My version is that I've been finally getting in and like watching all the Star Wars shows. Oh, I love those. We I yeah. They're not medieval, but I could talk about them for hours. Yep, they're um, definitely not medieval, but uh, yeah, I've been watching those, and yes, that means I watched a lot of Disney TV on Disney Plus recently that I liked more than this. Um, the majority of things I watch on Disney Plus are Star Wars cartoons. I've actually done but, the cartoons yet. I've done like I basically now I've like done I've gone through like all the uh, the live action shows. So I'll have to start doing the cartoons. Yeah, I yeah. I suppose I suppose okay. I need to pull an answer out of my butt. I don't know. I really don't. Like... Yeah. I... I don't know. I feel like I just kept being, like, like trying to figure out 
what I wish they'd done instead of the things that they did that I didn't like. Mm-hmm. I'm not a hundred percent sure that I actually like managed to come up with anything coherent. I will say I almost think that there's almost too much pressure created by Alora being a person as opposed to kind of like an object that gets passed around, which is sort of what babies are. Babies are footballs. That I think there's almost like too much pressure and that, I mean, for me, then it was like very easy to like be very disappointed by her as a character. I almost wonder if it would have been better if like she was on a throne and then there was like a quest instead to like find some sort of like, I don't know, weapon or something that would be like for her to use in the war or something. And like not had her honestly be as central of a character, especially because yeah. I also like the like, le- like actually Alora can't be in charge. She has to be like hidden away somewhere. I feel like it mostly like didn't totally work for me and actually ended up making like Sorcia look awful. Actually, I have, I have one now. I've, I've come up with one as okay. we were talking. The, the change is this. Instead of only having a time skip of 17 years, we take the time skip, make it the 34 years it's been yeah. since the original movie. Elora is the empress. Sorsha and she's 30 is, and she's, and she's 35 and she wants to stay home with her fucking dad and sends all these teens out on the quest. Well, yeah. Uh, like, <laughs> like, like Sorsha is like her advisor. Um, mm-hmm. And like, Elora is is the most powerful person, but she can't leave because she's yeah. the goddamn empress. And so she's and so like the quest happens. Sure, let's go rescue the brother. That's fine, but like send the kids out. And it's like this is uh, like seek out my old mentor Yoda. I mean Willow, and uh, go on the quest with him. And like I don't know. That's that's all the notes I have. <laughs> yeah, I think that would have been fun. I also, I will say, like, I, I you know, we're totally cutting the Jade as Kale's daughter thing because I hate that more oh, than no, literally absolutely. I've hated anything yeah. else. Uh, you know, we're, we're keeping the Jade Kit romance because they're great. Yeah, uh, the but Jade, also, the I Jade actually Kit like... romance can say, but uh, uh, maybe explore Jade's Child of Two Worlds deal uh, yeah. a little more. Yeah, like, actual... I think they really could have done more with that character. I also like, I think it would have been fun because like, as I said, I, I was kind of like, on the fact that like, we don't really get a lot of the Nelwyn and we also, especially cause like, we don't have much of the brownies. We don't have as much of a kind of like sense of there being like different cultures and different like species and all of these kind of different groups yeah. that are existing in this world. So I think it would have been fun maybe if they'd actually, yeah, like done more with Jade's past, maybe had Scorpia stick around for longer, maybe also actually have like Mims come along and like, maybe she's like in training as a sorceress. Yeah. And also... And a dynamic I think they could play up a, uh, more in this theoretical new show. So when we did the Willow movie, we noted all the parallels to Star Wars because uh, yes. George, George Lucas has one George Lucas has one story in him, right? Um, but since this is a TV adaptation of Willow, we can do what almost all of the Star Wars TV shows do and like play up the like this character is suddenly a dad to all these kids now. <laughs> like Willow is basically like pl- play up the dad aspect. Cause like, right. That's that, that was like the, the heart of the original movie is like, yeah. Willow's here because he's a dad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I found that so cool, right? That like Willow's main skill, main like useful skill is childcare. Yeah. 
So yeah, like I think actually given that it would have been nice to actually like see his relationship with his own daughter as like a thing that's real as opposed to like being vaguely worried about her from a distance. Yeah, like because a trend I've noticed in almost all of the Star Wars shows, except for Andor. Andor is the Andor is the odd one out. But it's like, take this badass man, give him a child, boom. Every <laughs> single one, without fail. <laughs> I mean, I'm not gonna complain about that. You know, you and I love me some baby you. Oh, yeah, no, it 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 works brilliantly. Yeah. His name is Groku. <laughs> I mean, it is, but I'm still going to call him Baby Yoda. Eh. <laughs> Sorry. I guess we'll see what they do with the next couple seasons. I, I do mm-hmm. think some of these characters have potential. As I said, yeah. I ultimately didn't feel like what they did with them totally worked, but I'm hopeful that maybe they'll yeah, it's, it's, do something different next time. It's a show that could be better than it is, but I don't think it's bad as such. But that's... We should get into that in our next section, probably. Yeah, so that's the Estimatio. And I think you're probably going to be more positive than uh, I when am. When am I not? <laughs> true. I'm true. I don't like anything. It's true. Do we want to start with uh, my downer or your not da- or your less downer? Start with your downer. It's fine. <laughs> so I'm going to give it a two out of five. I'm giving it some points. Like, honestly, I'm in part giving it points for, like, queer representation. Like, 100% here. And, like, wow. And also, like, wow is it annoying that when I was, like, looking up reviews, there are some negative reviews that I'm like, yeah, those are concerns that I have. And then there was also a fuck ton of negative reviews that are like, the girls pissed in front of my children. And I'm like, go fuck yourself. But then that made me annoying because then that made me wish I liked it more than I liked it. But anyway, so it's getting, like, some points for queer representation. It's getting points for, like, there being an emphasis on like some really great female characters. I mean, Jade and Kit, I don't mean Alora. Alora was not working for me. It's getting some points for diverse casting. And honestly, like it's getting some point, it's like getting a bit for nostalgia. But overall, I I felt like I was actually kind of like disappointed in this relative to Willow, the movie. So yeah, yeah two out of five. I'm going to go a bit more positive. I always do. Um, <laughs> like I, I, I think I've given the things a higher rating than you have in almost every case. Um, That's probably true. Equal or greater than. But I'm going to go 3.5. Okay. Uh, I think 3.5 is fair. I think the biggest difference between you and me is I did actually enjoy Alora. Like I found I found her relationship with Kit deeply annoying at first, but like I like what it grew into. Like like the sort of fire forged friendship deal. I really want to see more of that going forward. But otherwise, yeah, uh definitely points for queer rep. It's it's not a perfect show, not by any means, but it's I also don't think it's a bad show. I think it's worth a watch, especially since like more streaming means that Disney's less likely to cancel it like they do every other show that they have that has any whiff of queerness. Um, yeah. But rest in peace, the Owl House. But yeah, overall, I liked it. I don't think it's, I, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's like, you know, a transcendentally, this is the greatest show ever, like say uh, a DuckTales or a Star Wars Rebels. But it's good. It's not bad. It's good. 
I think I ultimately was like, it was not great. There were some bits I liked. There were a number of bits that I actively didn't like. It'll probably hold your interest, though, if you like the movie. Mm -hmm. I felt kind of bummed out just because I really, I think, wanted to like it more than I did. But yeah, yeah, well, but it's fine. I don't like anything. So (laughs) that's true. Well, I thank you again for joining me to continue as my Willow correspondent. Of course. Yeah, I'll be here next season. Um, so <laughs> waiting for other things. Yes, yes. Uh, you'll we'll we'll be back to Doctor Who, I think, probably in the not too distant future. I would, I would, I would. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Welcome yeah. to the sixtieth year of that. <laughs> Ooh, exciting! So, where can the listeners find you on the internet? Well, I've got a Tumblr. I am Shadow Academic on Tumblr. I've also. Got a Twitter, but frankly, I don't know how much Twitter I'll have Twitter for much longer. I don't know how long Twitter is going to. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So Tumblr is really the place. Um, I'm pretty active in the Media Evil Facebook group. And also, I'm on this show, not infrequently. Yes. (laughs) I'm like, what, second only to Ollie at this point? I think so. I think so. So yeah, check out Lily's past episodes. That's pretty, that's, that's pretty exciting. And, and yeah. of course, Ollie has uh, an unbeatable head start because uh, he is the original co-host in exile. Um, yes. Brought back. <laughs> banished, to, banished to the, the 13th realm. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Occasionally manages to, to, to stick his head back in from the 13th yeah. realm. So you should listen in particular to Lily's past episodes, but also in general, you should subscribe in your preferred podcatcher app and rate interview Media Evil on Apple Podcasts. I'll read new five-star reviews in future episodes. Please also, for as long as Twitter exists, follow the podcast on Twitter at Media Evil Pod and join the Media Evil Facebook group. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sarah H. Decker. And if you have any questions or suggestions, I'd love to hear from you via email at media.evilpod at gmail.com. So, Lily, thank you again. Yeah, thank you. And thank you all for listening to Media Evil. Bye. Bye. Same as last time. With my friends.